Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah! your butts that's right it's time for another episode of the ted lasso podcast here on post show recaps talking about ted lasso season three episode seven the strings that bind us it is over but we are just getting started talking about it here on post show recaps hello everybody i am antonio mazzaro joined here by josh wiggler we've swapped roles josh <laughs> we swapped roles and we're for some reason we're tied together by this bit of red string which is yeah that's actually a usb cord that's a usb oh. cord <laughs> it's, it's a usb cord you have a port that i don't know about <laughs> it's connecting our microphones and that is why we are so in sync total podcasting is what ah. we are doing here today on post show recap san antonio talking about the seventh episode of season three of ted lasso how's it going it's going great. Uh, it's going great. I'm bound by this string, and I am uh, happy to have the opportunity, Josh, uh, to talk to you about this episode. I know 
uh, as we've talked about on the podcast last week. Uh, we're not in the mode we're currently we're normally in, but we're doing our best. Uh, and I, I think uh, we will we will have a good conversation today yes. about the events of Ted Lasso, the strings that bind us. Yes. Last week's episode of Ted Lasso was the road show, right? Uh, AFC Richmond goes to Amsterdam. This week's episode of the Ted Lasso podcast is the road podcast, except instead of Amsterdam, I'm in Colombia uh, and I'm taking a brief moment out of this trip to Colombia to talk some Ted Lasso because this episode is something that is worth discussing and definitely worth missing a beach day over, Antonio. Uh, That's so- what you're doing? You're missing a beach day? <laughs> I'm missing beach day. That's oh, no. all right. But I hope that people understand that all of, like the uh, extra bells and whistles, the music, the edits, we have a lot of fun with that on the podcast. We're not able to do that for this one. So it's going to be a pretty straightforward conversation. The upshot of that is A, hey, you get a Ted Lasso podcast in your feed pretty quickly. We love that. We love to see it. The other thing is, Antonio, I feel like we should tell people we've got a feedback show that is coming up here pretty soon on post show recaps we do we've been teasing it uh it's just a little bit past the mid-season point and you and i are going to at some point in the next little while see each other in person so we will get that done in person scheduled recorded who knows what will amount or what will arrive or result from that dynamic pairing there might be an explosion uh (laughs) in the same room who knows Uh, like two anarchists in the 1920s it could happen but gosh uh, you never know but Yes, you never know. You never know. But yes, that's on the way. That's on the way. Yeah, so if you want to get that feedback in, tedlasso at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. We would love to hear your feedback. We've been getting great emails all season long. We shall finally bring as many of them as we can and are still relevant considering where we are in the plot to the podcast. So if you want to write in, Ted Lasso at PojoRecaps.com. That's going to come to me. That's going to go to Antonio. It's going to go to our great producer in the management suite, Marissa Garza. If you want to subscribe to the podcast as well, you'll never miss an episode of the Ted Lasso show here on PSR. PojoRecaps.com slash Ted Lasso is the RSS link. When you search by URL, you can also just search Ted Lasso, Posho Recaps, wherever you get your podcasts. You will find us. Ratings and reviews greatly appreciated if you are able to uh, string yourself to the subscription feed give us some star reviews that would be so appreciated over here if you want commercial free versions of the ted lasso podcast you can go to patreon.com slash post show recaps you sign up at any level to support the podcast and the arts by going to patreon.com slash post show recaps any level you will get ad free versions of every single ted lasso season three podcast so once again that's patreon.com slash post show recaps and again a reminder to write in ted lasso at post show recaps dot com antonio we are foregoing the quick plot recap once again that shall return for episode eight uh but for this week i feel like there are a lot of different ties a lot of different strings that we have to follow threading through this episode of ted lasso that was previously titled boxes has since been renamed the strings that bind us interesting that we have uh, these last minute title changes going on i guess it speaks to the fact that they're not playing any vince gilligan like games with the titles of these episodes or maybe they are and this is a bait and switch <laughs> yeah. move that we need to string is back yeah str- strings back <laughs> yeah that's gonna be when they tie up the dicks again in a future episode of ted lasso season strings three. back strings back 
Yeah, very funny. Uh, that's hilarious. I hope that's the case. I can't wait for Bingo, <laughs> Uno, Jello, all of them. Uh, yeah, the uh, the episode title changing unusual. And look, that's something people could uh, send some feedback in about. Uh, what, what do we think is going on here? I think otherwise, like feedback, uh, you know, we, we talked about what we're going to talk about in this episode, but uh, we don't know what number four is uh, for for Ted's total football, uh, the lasso way. Uh, and we'll talk about what we think it could be and what Danny Rojas thinks it is uh that was a that was a fun part of the episode so what is four is a good one uh and then of course again the main topic of the show uh total football the ted way how how it's been a tactical change over the course of the show i'd love to hear people's thoughts on what they think uh this week reflected as far as what people on the team learned from ted over the first three seasons and how this will help the tactic work throughout because ultimately that's what we saw we saw a team in this episode struggling to adapt to a new tactical way, having a little bit of a breakthrough at the end of the Arsenal match, uh, and the string that binds the two of that the, the team together, uh, being something that has been woven throughout their bond uh, over the first three seasons. Uh, some of the other things we saw in this episode uh, also speak to characters on a journey. Uh, Nate, I'm thinking of specifically where he's at on his path. We definitely want to deep dive and break that down. And then, of course, everything that's happening with Sam, Sam's restaurant, uh, Sam taking on uh, more activism as he has in the past, the consequences of that, which we have seen in the past, and we have seen tied to his father's role in that. And then his father's <laughs> showing with the up ties. in this episode. Careful with the ties. Got to be careful. The ties that bind. Uh, and you got to be careful where you tie them, I yes. think. Uh, so that's for sure. But a lot of this stuff is stuff that we have seen previously or we have visited previously. And now we're revisiting or reflecting on in a new way in this episode of Ted Lasso, which makes sense because, Josh, we're in the end game now. We are in the end game now. We are officially over the hump here. We are. Uh, we have five episodes, right? I think that I'd math correctly. Do we have uh, this is five episodes left? Is it four? Where are we at? How many episodes of Ted left? There's twelve we episodes have, total. Yes, we okay. have five episodes. Yes. We have five episodes left, and I, I got to admit, brain. I. I use my fingers to uh, to count that one. So <laughs> you're a vacation brain. I don't know what my excuse the original is. calculator. Yes, the hand. <laughs> exactly. uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry for the vacation brain. Uh, but yeah, we are very close to the end of the line here, at least in season three of Ted Lasso. Still to be determined. I have to keep reiterating: is this the final season or not? It feels like the final season, but it is still unconfirmed, at least as of this recording early in the morning on April 26th, 2023. So I do kind of wish that just like a choice was made uh, so that we could be a accurately talking about it, but be like accurately conceiving it because while the story feels like it is rushing towards a pretty clear end point of an arc, there is the threat, the promise. I don't know uh, the possibility of further stories in the Ted Lasso universe. And I actually felt like this episode in some ways, Antonio was like, stress testing that idea of like can ted lasso the show tolerate a ted free episode while it's not a ted free episode and while total football is such an important part of the storyline this week and while ted's tactics uh that he has been incrementally implementing over the course of uh, a thousand invisible uh uh you know strategic interventions according to to trent crim i feel like ted specifically his story was pretty minimal. And I think like you could take Ted out 
And you could have this be a Beard and Roy intervention with the team. There's a great club story in this episode. But it's also very Sam heavy. It's very Keely heavy. It's very Nate heavy. And I think Ted ends up being one of the main characters that's a little bit, if not short shrifted in this episode. I just kind of felt like I could imagine somebody standing in for Ted. And so for me, it kind of felt like an episode of like, all right, well, if this isn't the final season of Ted Lasso, and if we are able to move the Lasso way into a fourth season, whether it's still called Ted Lasso or it's a different show, is this going to be something that people people want? So I don't know if you caught that vibe at all with sort of the way that the stories were delivered to us this week, but it was a feeling that I had, especially going into my second watch of the episode, having watched it the first time. I definitely did, uh, and in part because at the beginning of this season, in our preview shows and otherwise, we talked extensively about the potential for spinoffs. Uh, even if we were to continue Ted Lasso or if we ended Ted Lasso, what are some ways we could spin the show off uh, and give Jason Sudeikis his three seasons that he uh, envisioned years ago uh, and sat down to break and also give him the out uh, to not have to live in the UK for several months a year, be away from his family, that sort of thing, to live the Ted Lasso life. Uh, not having Jason Sudeikis on the show does give him that out. So the question is, of course, this is a big Apple property, and maybe they want to do uh, a universe where they have connected shows. So are there multiple spinoffs? Will they keep Ted Lasso without Ted? These are all questions that we pondered at the beginning of the season. They would be certainly good uh, topics on which to opine for the feedback show. Uh, whether we're at a point having seen what we've seen from KJPR and Ola's and some of the things that would be possible uh, to spin off, uh, do we think we would want that? Is that something that we think they could successfully execute? And because uh, I've been lensing the show in the season through that lens, this episode definitely does stick out for me in that regard because it's the first one where we really have extensive Sam stuff and Sam's restaurant stuff and extensive Keeley stuff and some KJPR stuff. So those are the two, I think, big things that we, we flagged at the beginning of the season as potential ideas for Apple to launch a new show from the Ted Lasso universe. And here they are together in one episode, not otherwise seemingly sharing a lot of DNA. Um, you could certainly talk about, and we will, how Ted maybe is reflected on the Nate story, how Ted is maybe reflected a little bit in the Sam story specifically, how the team comes together uh, yep. and the support mechanism is there. Um, the Ted and Keeley connection is a little less, and maybe that is in and of itself making a point. Uh, I don't know. I'm personally, I feel like the Keeley one, the Keeley story in this episode specifically is a little discordant and sticks out to me in a way the other three feel uh, maybe a little more similar or maybe the Keeley and Nate stories feel a little more connected. You're right, I think, to observe that there was a feel to this episode uh, that maybe you could uh, quantify by saying, it is, uh, you know, what an episode of Ted Lasso would look like without Ted, even though there's plenty of Ted content in it. So I do understand what you're saying. I do feel that way. Uh, and the episode as a whole uh, made me feel some type of way in that regard, even as I thoroughly enjoyed so much of what was happening. And even as uh, even Ted Lasso that I'm not sure about sometimes is still a show that I'm absolutely in love with and that I understand all the comments uh, from everyone in our discord and online about how great a show this is. Um, this episode, uh, no exception in that regard. Yeah, great bits. I think like a lot of really fun pieces in this episode. Yep. And I think one of the challenges here on the podcast this week is going to see uh, what do they add up to? Uh, do they do they add up to a whole? Uh, well, it certainly at least adds up to a single goal, Antonio, as total football. It's going to work. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's begin by talking about what's going on with the Lasso Way implementing the ancient art known as total football. I have to tell you, I spent a good bit of time watching this episode being like, you got to be kidding me. This is not going to work. This is not going to work. When we're getting into the game, into the match by the end of the episode, and they're losing so badly. I can't believe it. I can't believe that we're going to leave episode seven and go into episode eight. Hopeless again. Another tactic spoiled uh, that this is just going to continue to be a thing going into episode eight. And of course, that one goal and then Trent Krim's dorky enthusiasm is all I need to know, Antonio. It is going to work. They don't win the battle, but it looks like they have a fighting chance at the war by the end of this episode. Fighting chance at the war, I think, is the part where it's a very interesting thing to flag. And I would be curious for our feedback show, because it's an end of season question, what people's thoughts are on are we still trending toward Richmond uh, winning the title and using their total football tactics to stage a, you know, like a notable and rampaging comeback to bring them to the top of the table to finally slay their white whale Man City. Maybe they beat Man City. And then, Josh, this is also a possibility because Coach Beard talks about uh, Cruyff and the, the, the Dutch team in the 70s didn't actually win the World Cup. Like they mm. didn't actually win. They are beloved, and the uh, the success of the tactic it lives on in the memory and the legend of football, and they didn't win. They didn't win. Now, Cruyff won with the same tactics uh, in many other ways, as the, uh, the Beard presentation points out, uh, whether that's at Barcelona or now uh, with the spillover uh, and some of the stuff that happened at Ajax and uh, of his coaching tree and all of it. Uh, his, his legacy is longstanding, and his trophies are many, but that particular team did not win. Uh, and so I don't know. I'm curious as to whether people think we're trending toward a version of Ted Lasso where they slay the white whale, they win the league, everything's great, or some other version of that where everything's great even though they didn't win. That is, of course, the ending of season one. Uh, and where we end up in season two uh, when the club comes back up is a win, uh, but we have it mixed with some downside of what happens with Nate. 
So are we trending toward a fully happy ending, uh, the kind of Ted Lasso happy ending where you find happiness even in the darkness? Uh, that's the part where I'm not sure. But I agree with you. This tactic is going to work. I certainly agree with Trent Krim as well. Yeah, I think if Trent Krim says it, and if Trent Krim says it with such gusto, uh, who yes. am I to argue? I also I, hey, have... let me let me say about the gusto. Yeah. Let me say, uh, yes. I call that. Uh, I think that was DBE. Uh, not I did. I said that right. I didn't mean. I didn't mean to say BDE. It's DBE. Yes. Doc Brown energy. Doc it was very Brown Doc energy. Brown. He came in with his like wild hair. It's going to work. I swear it's going to work. It's it. You know, it's like yeah. he just had this great discovery. He all but said one point twenty one gigawatts. Yeah. Uh, so he was Ronald very Reagan, excited. The actor. Oh, I love it when you Doc Brown on me. Yeah, that's great. It's good stuff. So I that's what it reminded me most of. It was like not James Lance. It was not the same Trent Krim that we normally see. He was really lit. He was really yeah. excited. And uh, the DBE was was pouring out of him. So he, he I love that. Right. He, he had he an epiphany. He had an well, epiphany. And it, it's not lost on me that the whole point of the audience and the show co-signing Ted's methods all the way back when is Trent Krim the Independent episode three when this guy a dyed in the wool British football journalist who clearly has very high standards and has been sent to Ted to set him up for failure and to look bad says like if the lasso way is wrong I don't want to be right like I'm with Ted Lasso and I'm rooting for his success and that's when the show is telling us like okay these dyed in the wool old guard guys say that this could work and are rooting for this guy, we as an audience should get on board with the possibility that this could work. The cosign from Trent Krim at the beginning of the series is massive for Ted's credibility at all. Yeah. Uh, and here it is again, uh, a massive cosign. And I love that we saw Trent struggling throughout the episode to figure this out and asking questions about it. So it does really feel like a Eureka and an epiphany moment. Yes. Uh, I have to tell you, I was so offended by the end of the episode of Ted Lasso agreeing to call Trent Krim a dork. I just don't think that Ted Lasso gets to call anybody else a dork. This is just my opinion. You don't have to agree with it. But I was slightly offended by Ted Lasso calling Trent a dork. <laughs> It takes one to know one. So I maybe suppose. that's why. And as a dork, I'm allowed to say this. Um, so let's let's go through the total football of it all, Antonio. Uh, the the there's four steps: conditioning, versatility, awareness, and dot dot dot. Hmm. Uh, I am number four was the name of a movie based on a young adult novel. I don't think it's going to tell us anything about the enigmatic fourth total football rule but i do think we could probably break down this total football storyline based on the four rules yeah i mean we certainly can uh break down the storyline based on the four rules uh we certainly that's what i said about feedback like i'm curious if we looked at like conditioning versatility and awareness what ted lasso the manager and the person has been doing to build these things in the team throughout i think is a very interesting way now to lens the show, considering what Trent has said about how wh whatever the exact phrase that you quoted earlier in the podcast was that he said about how these are minute changes over time or yeah. like very small things that you've done over three years. It's not a tactical shift in one week. So as far as conditioning goes, no, he hasn't been making them run to the point of puking. The question I think I would ask, because that is the the one of the three in the total football montages here that we get in the episode or the sections. Conditioning is the one that I think gets the shorter shrift. It's just them running around until they puke. 
Yeah, uh, but it's them running around until they puke while listening to uh, the the metal allergy uh, enthusiast himself, Roy Kent, just shouting whistle, uh, which he's done before. But I don't know that we knew that he had a metal allergy. This was news to me. It's like I think it's been claimed. Uh, I don't know that we've seen it proven. Like, I don't think we've seen him like put metal in his mouth and have it blow up. Or I don't know that we've like gone back and looked to see if he ever had metal in his mouth at any point in the show. But at least it has been something that was offhandedly said once. Uh, So the fact that the fans know it, the fact that the pub guys know it uh, maybe (laughs) makes me think that this is a thing that people know about Roy Kent as a human being, which is very funny. Uh, But yeah, this is a this is a always funny. Roy Kent whistle whistle just yelling whistle uh, will never not make me laugh yeah never. very good very good stuff so he's yeah he's just making them run all day that's gonna be it that's what's gonna get them going um then we have versatility which is basically like uh casting disguise self and betting on a good charisma role that you can impersonate the person next to you uh we're gonna have people swapping characters Isaac and Danny Danny and Isaac the best is very clearly beard becoming will and more more importantly, Will becoming beard with the with the duct tape beard and everything uh, was the funniest thing that I've seen on Ted Lasso in a good minute. And it's been a very funny season so far, but I howled, Antonio. I died. I thought that was so good. Will become Will Wolf Bar Mitzvah. Will becoming beard beard becoming Will. Yeah, like yeah. It, uh, it's so funny. The uh, you got uh, you got one of your babies, uh-huh. uh, but it was from Will. Uh, and the taped <laughs> on mustache and the taped on beard and the glasses. And I absolutely love the fact that he sat in Beard's chair with the book. Like he extended the metaphor. He took it off the pitch and he, look, I'm worried for Will. Like, where does this end? Do not under any circumstances while impersonating coach Beard contact Jane. Don't do it. Will stay away. Yeah. Stay away. Uh, Yeah. There's a, you don't want to square pegs, round holes. I don't want to talk about that that effect. Right. Something Something to to that effect. effect. Uh, Jamie is the only member of the team who doesn't get paired off with anybody else. Uh, They tell Jamie, we just thought you'd want to just do your thing out there. Jamie seems disappointed by this. Jamie seems like he wanted to go to Comic-Con. Jamie wanted to cosplay. He did. And it fits with the team all wanting to do the voices. And it's very funny when Ted's like, well, first of all, it's hilarious when Danny does the Isaac impression and then Isaac does the Danny impression and makes the sign of the cross and prays. Uh, But the whole team, of course, wanted to do the voices. And then Ted's like, oh, well, okay, you can do them. You can do them. Sure. You know, yeah, there's a little cheer. So very funny that this is where the team is at, because we see in this episode another hilarious thing later in the episode is when uh, Roy Kent is slowly turning into Ted Lasso, making these pun jokes and hating every second of it, but doing it and can't help himself and saying, like, I can't believe what you've done to me. Uh, that he's not like, yeah, exactly. Stop. Yeah. Stop. You're on a roll. You're on fire. Yeah. Yeah. So funny. Uh, But Ted's done it to the whole team. He's brought out their inner dorks. So they all want to do the impressions. Jamie Tart wanted to have fun, but he didn't want to be separate and apart from the team. He wants to be part of the team. When he came back, it wasn't about him being special and him being singled out. They had to even fact, in in fact, teach him the signal of when it was okay to be a prick. And we saw the repeat of the signal in a hilarious way in the locker room this time, of course. Uh, But yeah, Jamie did not want, he, he wanted to be part of this. And they just said, you know, well, we thought you'd just want to do what you always do for us, score goals is that right uh and look it pays off in a big way that he doesn't get what he wants in this moment because later he does figure it out and it's him who figures it out 
Uh, I do appreciate that many parties have had agency in the success that Jamie achieves by being the one who figures this out, of course, from Keeley to Roy uh, to Ted to Dr. Sharon, all these people that he's spoken to about his role on the team and everything that he's done. But it doesn't work. The tactic total football does not work unless Jamie has the epiphany and figures it out in the way that he does. But Jamie isn't that guy without Ted. So all of this does, I think, flow back to uh, what Trent Krim ultimately dubs what the, the Ted effect. Like, this is the lasso way. Like, this is ultimately what we're doing. And I do believe the lasso way uh, that Trent says is going to be the title of the book, by the way. The oh, lasso I hope so. Way. I think that's coming. So uh, I, I, I don't think that this ever happens for Jamie, uh, this success, without the lasso way. So again... This is an example of how the tactics didn't change overnight. Ted didn't fix Jamie Tart overnight. Jamie Tart didn't get to this point overnight. He got to this point in a lot of for a lot of reasons, most of which can be pointed right back to uh, the lasso way, uh, to the things that Ted has been doing at Richmond since the first episode. Jamie was his big target. He was the guy that he wanted to do the most work on, and then he felt that he needed to do the most work on, and that fixing him. Uh, became a thing. First, it was with Danny Rojas and two aces, and we're going to challenge Jamie that way. Then it was the curse stuff and getting rid of that uh, in the same episode. And Jamie starts to get over the hump, and then we know what happens. He gets sent back. Rebecca's still trying to undermine Ted. All of that. Ted stays with Jamie. Way to make the extra pass. And we're we're, we're talking about Jamie making one more pass in season one. One more pass. That's it. Just one extra pass. And now in season three, that comes full circle. He's making all the passes, Josh. He's facilitating everything, and it is his ability in drawing the attention of the defenses that will allow his teammates to thrive. It really is a full circle moment from Jamie, and it, it is the result of a thousand little interventions along the way. So I really like seeing that. Uh, I don't like that it still had to come from like them not realizing that Jamie could do this, but like I said, it's still to the credit of Ted Lasso that Jamie was able to realize it at all because of Ted Lasso. So this is a win for the Lasso way, regardless. Uh, and so in the moment, I feel bad for Jamie, but I'm so glad that he's able to figure it out in the way that he does. This is such great growth for the character. Well, speaking of the Lasso way, I think that takes us to awareness where the team lassos themselves to each other's penises, Antonio. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Uh, there isn't much else to say. So that's Roy, awareness. Roy Kent, Roy Kent loves red binding material. I don't understand. Uh, we we probably will not get the full backstory on why Roy Kent loves tying things up with red string and rope. He and what has already talked about red ropes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He loves red binding material. This is my point. Like if it can bind you up and it's red, it's for Roy Kent, and he's going to find something horrible to do to you with it. Uh, yeah. So stay away from like licorice around Roy Kent, I guess. Yes, the red rope licorice is bad is circulating yes. around the arena. Uh, so, yeah, so they tie their penises to each other for awareness, Antonio. Um, is, this is just is this not just hazing? How should we be feeling about this? Are, are we is this funny? Is, this was a lot. This is a lot. Yeah. I was I was yeah. very worried for Jamie. Like I was on I was like on the edge of my seat for all of this. And I'm not sure if it was for the right reasons. <laughs> Roy, Roy's shark-like grin and 
just menacing laughter at it is not lost on me. And then, of course, he like wants to double down. He's like, well, next time I've given this a lot of thought. <laughs> next time we do this, we time multiple the human guys sense to, to one guy's team. Dick. Yeah, yes, he does. It's he wants to like rat king uh, their, their penises together. <laughs> no. um, it is the Roy King, the Roy King, the, the Roy yeah. King. He wants to Roy do this. Uh, no, it is very funny that they they do their like little team cheer and it's one, two, three dicks because we've right. previously on the show had one, two, three butts. Uh, so now we're just we're really just going front door and back door on the one, yes. two, three celebrations on this show. So very funny. The manic giggle, though. I mean, that's one of the laughs of the season for me. Uh, Roy Kent is just utter like and it, and it repeats the the funny bit, of course, is when, ja- when Jamie's so worried <laughs> that he's lost it. Uh, we're looking like panning down the rope and doing a close up shot of the little noose and taking over to Jamie and Danny is standing there and Beard is v- very worried. And then, of course, things are fine. And Danny, his penis is OK. <laughs> you know, yeah. Danny is so funny and happy about it. Uh, and then immediately there's another gag uh, where Ted steps out onto the pitch. Two guys get blasted and Roy starts giggling again. It's just unbelievable. So funny. Yeah. To me. yeah. It's easy to forget sometimes that at his core, Roy Kent is just a brute. You know, like <laughs> this is like, yeah, this is, this is his jam. This is his jam for better and for worse. I think he's given uh, it a lot of thought. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I kind of feel like for me, like this was almost my lead tasso moment of like the all of the penises tied together was just kind of like, come on, we're in season three, episode seven. We're doing this. Uh, some of <laughs> some of the results were just so funny. Uh, Danny specifically with Jamie and then specifically Jamie, you know, like as if he almost just got like hit by a train uh sort of the way that phil dunster plays that as he's like walking off the field like there was definitely some comic gold in there and i think to your point about brett goldstein as well but a little piece of me was just like i don't know i don't know you guys do we need this a little little piece it's just a little piece (laughs) just a little piece uh got taken out uh not great not great bob uh and i think especially like in an episode that as we're going to discuss and i think the next storyline that we'll talk about like goes into some really serious territory in this episode too so a little bit of tonal whiplash which i know a total whiplash uh which i know is an issue you've had with this episode specifically is like some of these parts just are like a little discordant in some ways Definitely. You don't like string moil your way through awareness uh, and then smash cut to always restaurant and expect to just make that work. I think the episode largely does. But I do think there are a few moments where I'm like, now this content maybe could have been in another episode and I feel like it would have been better served or not lost. Um, I don't think the Sam stuff is diminished by the stuff that's happening with the team, because ultimately, I think the versatility, the awareness, I mean, the, the show tells us this jamie says it to sam and ola's like we just asked ourselves where could we help the most and this is what you needed uh and so the the connection between total football and the team being there for sam in his time of need is very clear so at least the connective tissue is really there between those two things but you're right for an episode topically uh, there's sometimes a little bit of uh disharmony discord whatever you want to call it between these topics uh but i still end up really loving uh what's happening with the total football it it was like every sports movie of course they play center field while the dick stumbling is going around and center field has been in so many sports movies along the way i get i want to give a shout out to our great producer Marissa Garza, who really helped out uh, this week with a lot of the needle drops. There were so many in this episode, but Center Field um, by CCR's John Fogarty is in so many sports movies like Bad News Bears and Bull Durham, Little Big League, the Sandlot sequels. Uh, it's it's all over the place. So very funny to see it the in Sandlot sequels. They made more. 
They made at least one or two more, I believe, after the original Sandlot. Yeah. Oh, wow. Direct-to-video, I assume. I think DTV, for sure. Yeah. Well, what's number four, Antonio? Do we leave this a mystery? Do we uh, heed the wisdom of Damon Lindelof and let the mystery be? I think so. Uh, I'm I'm curious to see how it plays out. I do. Number think four that, uh... is Mrs. Davis. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, speaking of Mrs. Davis, you've got a new podcast here at Post Show Recaps. Do you not? Folks, go watch Mrs. Davis. It's on Peacock. Don't tie the Peacocks together. Go watch Mrs. Davis. Go listen to the podcast we have afterwards. Great show. Ridiculous show. It'll make you think. It'll make you laugh. The podcast is pretty fun as well. Uh, recaps.com slash Davis if you want to search by URL. But if you have not yet I've checked been, uh, out Mrs. Davis, you really you really ought to yeah. at least give it one episode and then just like see like what the hell is it that I'm watching right now? I've been doing my homework. I've been trying to crack the code uh, of the algorithm at the center of that show. Uh, and You're if like I do, Trent Josh, trying to figure out number four. I am. I am. Like I have a blank piece of paper on my notebook where I'm trying to figure out the, the connections here. And I'm going to have an epiphany moment. And when I do, I'm going to stumble onto one of your podcasts while you're recording it live like Doc Brown. Yes. Uh, and then Mike Bloom, of all people, is going to call me a dork. And I'm not going to be able to get past that. I anticipated eagerly. Yeah. I greatly I'm not await be able that to get past that. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm curious for our feedback show, what people think number four is or could be. I think it might have something to do with uh, knowing when uh, maybe like it's knowing when you are hurting or knowing when it's time for you to do something different, no, like awareness. I, I don't know. But I feel like if we're saving number four, um, it will probably be something to do with Ted realizing that it's OK for Ted to leave Richmond uh, for total football to work. It, it doesn't necessarily require any one individual. Uh, and that's, I think, ultimately, yes, conditioning, versatility, awareness, especially the versatility and awareness parts of that. Uh, speak to the lack of individuality, like somebody can act as an individual and everybody has to respond to that so that you're ultimately all part of a real collective uh, and that individual moments are just backed up and supported by other individual decisions that are part of a collective. And I think that if we're talking about endgame stuff and number four waiting till later, uh, it could have something to do with Ted leaving Richmond. But I'm, I am very curious what other people think about this. If that's the case, Antonio, is Danny not, you know, onto something? He says, there it is, numero cuatro, sacrifice, putting aside yes. personal glory for the sake of the team. Would that not fit, I feel like, Could ultimately? be, yeah. yeah, could be. And maybe sacrifice isn't the right word, and maybe that's why Ted so hilariously immediately dismisses. <laughs> Danny's so proud. He's so proud of it. Yes, <laughs> and like speaking yeah. to the whole group like an instructor, like a coach. Oh, that's great, Danny. Love that. That's not for <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like so immediately, good. immediately dismissing it. So, yeah. yeah, I think sacrifice could be similar, but I don't know if the word is humility. I don't know if it's appreciation. I don't know if it's gratitude. I don't know what the concept is that would be at the fourth spot of this that could be tied into Ted's acceptance that he needs to leave the team. It may not be something as overt as sacrifice, uh, as in you're sacrificing something of yourself to give for the team. It may be something to do with a realization of where you're best suited. Uh, and maybe that is similar to awareness. I don't know. I just feel like if we're saving for, it could be an end game kind of thing. If it's an end game kind of thing, I still feel like we're trending toward the team is not uh team is not Ted is not bigger than the team. The team can get by without Ted because in three years, Ted has taught them 
all they need to know to be successful at that. And so one of those things may be like knowing when it's time to move on, knowing when it's time to do something different. So I don't know. I'm curious about that. I don't know how the blank of four ties into the rest of the thing. And the other thing is Trent says it doesn't even matter what four is. It doesn't matter at all. It's going to work regardless of four. Uh, and four in this episode was like things as huge concepts as huge as the idea of God herself, himself, itself, right. their self, whatever uh, is posited as the possibility of four. So it, it could be something that big. It could be something much smaller or more specific or localized, or it could be nothing at all. Uh, and I like that about it for now. I definitely am curious if people have ideas on what it is, but I'm also okay if it's never anything uh, because it's going to work even though we don't know what it is. All right, Antonio, let's go to Ola's. Let's talk yes, about I want to go there anyway. I do also want to go there anyway. Let's talk about Sam's storyline in this episode here where he is going to uh, send out a tweet challenging some bigoted xenophobic politics and his restaurant is going to get uh, wrecked as a result, but it is going to get built back stronger than ever with the support of his teammates and his community and his father, uh, the titular Ola, uh, the namesake of the restaurant. I'm so glad this restaurant is not called Zarozo and Doxos's. <laughs> you can't get this out of your mind. Uh, that uh, non-Zoanosier from uh, as Ola previously appeared on game of thrones as that character who's it's not his just fault said. right you know it's not his fault i really like the actor quite a bit he just so happens to be involved in one of my least favorite game of thrones storylines famous in the olden days of post show recaps uh part of the the karth the greatest city that ever was or ever will be storyline not so nosy who is uh one of the stars of sweet tooth on netflix talking about okay. shows that are getting some post show coverage uh from melissa and aiden uh, are going to be covering the second season of Sweet Tooth, which is dropping, I think, this week. Might be dropping tomorrow at this point, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so if people are checking out Sweet Tooth, you can you can see more from him there. That's the more relevant uh, sort of popular uh, show that he is on in a, in a major capacity. One thing that really sticks out to me, Antonio, is he is playing Sam Obasanya's father here, uh, Ola, in this uh, episode of Ted Lasso. The age difference. This is like I feel like very shady uh, towards uh, towards Nanso. Forty three years old to Tohib Jamo is twenty six. Uh, the math almost checks out there. It almost yeah. checks out. Almost checks out. Yeah, it's almost close. Checks out. It's close. close listen, enough. what close we listen. We're you're we've been talking so much succession here on post show recaps. The fact that uh, that Brian Cox uh, is only ten years older. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Logan, dude, yeah. I don't think about yes, it. yes, 10 year old Logan, father and Connor Roy, uh, yeah. is where we're getting at. Uh, so this happens sometimes. It. It's not, it. it's not shade. Look, the, the whole point of Ola is he was just so Great like character. he had he had such a like timeless quality to him. Like this guy is exactly the actor, the person, the character, the person that needed to walk into that locker room exactly when he walked in. The calming, commanding presence uh, that, that he immediately brought to the role, to the character, to the locker room, to all of it, uh, couldn't have been more clear or needed in that moment. He was so great. Uh, he just was like ant like he was like a rock uh, just yeah. walk or a tree in that case, just walking into and just being immediately reliable, immediately someone that Sam could just collapse into and that could shift the vibe in meaningful and significant ways around 
what is ultimately a very true storyline about the things that athletes face uh, when they dare express an opinion. How dare they? Uh, that disagrees with uh, some of the prevaricators uh, in the political space. Um, this has happened. Of course, the shut up and dribble uh, claim that is written on Sam's wall and that Sam hears from the home secretary is something that Laura Ingraham uh, from the Fox Entertainment News Network has said uh, about LeBron James uh, and, in, and in the past about his criticisms about what has happened. I mean, that's a canard that she's used to shut up and blank as well, but it was accompanied by other dog whistles. So this is a real thing. They're not pulling this storyline, unfortunately, from something made up. These are real experiences that athletes have uh, when they dare express their opinions. We saw what happened with Sam uh, before in season one when he stood up uh, against Sarithia Moyle and he stood up against the spot sponsors uh, and said that he didn't want to uh, do the uh, Dubai Air photo shoot. And then the team taped over the kit uh, of Dubai Air because of Sarithia Moyle. And ultimately, we know good things happened from that in terms of Sarithia Moyle was leaving Nigeria. Uh, we didn't see a ton of backlash against Sam for taking the stand. And one of the things we said at the time was, um, this is a pretty big deal that Sam is doing this and he would be getting a lot of heat for it. Trent Krim even asked Sam in the uh, locker, sorry, in the media room, like, are you alleging the Nigerian government of open corruption? Uh, and Sam says, yes. And then the only consequences of this uh, are not real world consequences. Only good things happen from that activism. Right now we're seeing the, the more uh, real world reality of what happens when athletes speak out, uh, especially athletes uh, who belong to certain groups that are minority groups in certain countries or, uh, or are persecuted. Uh, how dare you speak up about this persecution? You're rich. It doesn't always work that way. So um, we're seeing the real world consequences now in this episode. It is something that we talked about not seeing in season two. We're seeing it in season three. Uh, I do think this is a show that is um, correcting the record on some of that stuff. And even though it's brutal to see, um, having it be connected to Ola showing up on the show uh, and being there for Sam is such a powerful moment. And it reminds us, I think, of with the team showing up at his restaurant and the support there, uh, what allyship looks like and how to support people uh, that are being persecuted and that are standing up for these things and standing up for them on yourself. So uh, a storyline that I think is a lot headier than some of the stuff Ted Lasso usually takes on, uh, but spiritually and emotionally right there in Ted Lasso's wheelhouse. And I think dealt with in a way that speaks to the power of Ted Lasso, the show, the ethos, all of it. Uh, just a really, uh, really interesting story here. And I think you're right. Um, hard to kind of square it away uh, with some of the other stuff that's happening in yeah. this episode and give it the fair time that it deserves. So that's the only part for me where it's like maybe some of the relationship stuff uh, would have been better shifted to another episode to let this really shine. So I just uh, would like to say for the record, Brenda Barrett, immediately worst character on Ted Lasso. Uh, yeah. Can we just put that out there? Yeah, uh, hope we're, we're killing see, her. Yeah. yeah. Hope to never she see gets, her again. She gets uh, LVP votes or whatever we want to do. Yeah, I don't know what our LVP points look like here on the Ted Lasso podcast, but she gets all six of them this week for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. Do you think that we're going to see more from this storyline or is this going to be not unlike the Cerithium Oil where it's sort of done in one and we move on? It's a fair question. The character of the Home Secretary um, was very specific. She's named. We see her face. We hear her talk. We see all these things. I mean, she's clearly been cast. I can see a world where it's not the end of it. I mean, realistically, it wouldn't be the end of it. Uh, of course, on the Ted Lasso TV show, it could easily be the end of it because 
we dealt with it. We addressed it. We showed responding to it. I mean, there has not been any blowback from Edwin Akufo on Sam, uh, right. even though Edwin Akufo said, I'm going to make your life miserable. I'm going to ruin you. I'm going to do all that. So there's worlds where they can introduce these things. They can show the characters dealing with them and they can move on from them. And there's worlds where they linger. I don't think we've got a ton of episodes left as we talked about. It's just five if I'm counting on my, my fingers again. correctly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so knowing that, uh, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to see more of it. I don't personally need to see more of it in that i appreciate that what we got out of this version of it what we got out of this episode story of it uh, like i said spoke to how you can uh, respond to these moments by fighting forward as ola says uh, and seeing the fighting forward happen in real time the broken mirrors being left up uh, in, in, as both a memory of that and a way to say you can break the things around me but you're not going to break me uh, and I will wear that as a badge of honor that I am persevering through this. Uh, I will make it part of uh, what I've accomplished and what I'm building and not make it something that I'm hiding uh, or that I ignore or that I pretend didn't happen. So I think all of that is good and I don't need any follow up on that. If they want to give me more uh, to Jimo, like uh, being so freaking good, I mean, you could see why the guy is doing Shakespeare. That was a phenomenal moment when he exploded in the locker room uh, and when he and when he delivered all of that anger and all of the, the frustration and sadness and everything that overwhelmed him in that moment. Uh, such a masterclass from uh, from Sam. Uh, so if they want to give me more of that, I'm here for it. If they want to give me more Ola, I'm absolutely here for it. What we got was so good. I don't I don't need more. But if they want to give me more, give please do it. Uh, but not at the expense of like making this more difficult for people. Like I don't need to see it escalate from what we already saw because that was terrible. Uh, that was absolutely terrible. And everything was see me uh, when she looks up at Sam, when he walks in, seeing the place destroyed. She conveyed so much in that look. Uh, great character that has really already started to pop off the screen in this episode, having seen her previously. So if we want to do more at Olas and we want to occupy that space, I'm definitely here for it. Uh, I'm, I'm really liking Olas as a, as a venue for more storytelling. Yeah, well, I really like Simi, uh, who is right. uh, the, the yes chef, uh, the queen of Ola's, who's played by Precious Mustafa, who I have not seen in a lot of stuff. I tried to watch Fate the Winks saga, which she was in. I couldn't get too far into it. Uh, so that didn't really happen for for me. Uh, but here she is playing a really important character on uh, at least on Sam's side of the storyline. And at this point, like, I am definitely picking up the vibe, right? Like I'm not like, I'm not picking up something that isn't there, right? There's something going on between Sam and Simi at this point. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, you can see it with Sam's dad, right? Like the way he's making the jokes about, uh, Oh, Sam's told me all about you and the way it hits with Rebecca versus how it hits with Simi. It's there. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting is I believe that Precious Mustafa actually appears in The Power, uh, which is another uh, show that is currently being podcasted about in the Everything is Super podcast feed on post show recaps that Tohib Jimo is also in. Uh, so uh, if you are not getting enough of your Sam and Simi content here on Ted Lasso, I guess consult the power. I don't know if they have scenes together. This is just a cursory glance at Yon Internet's Antonio. That could be interesting, uh, because especially considering I, I don't know what role Tohib Jimo plays in the in, in the power, but uh, considering the premise of the show, <laughs> perhaps uh, Simi uh, is a torturer or is somebody that uh, that subjects uh, him to some deserved uh, 
gets on the other end of that power, uh, perhaps. I yeah. don't want to spoil anything from the story of that show, but uh, their relationship, their dynamic could be quite different in that show than it is in this one is what I'm getting at. Uh, so that's fascinating. I definitely, like you said, I think there's something going on there uh, between the two of them, and I don't have a problem with it. And we don't need to ship every male and female character on the show. We are just observing what the show is putting out there. And there are people who uh, do do this, who do ship a lot of what's happening. So we're speaking uh, for them when we do that. I don't need it one way or the other, but I'm not mad at it either. I really like the dynamic between the two. Ola refers to Simi as Sam's friend uh, when he is giving Sam the pep talk in the locker room and saying, like, this is why you fight forward. You fight for all the people away from their homeland who want a taste of home. You fight for yourself. You fight for your friend, Simi. Uh, and then, like I said, he makes it awkward, Ola does, with Rebecca. He makes it awkward for Sam in a different way with Simi. And Tohib Jimo makes this noise. <laughs> he's like, ah. Yes. When, uh, when Ola says, like, yeah, he's told me a lot about you. Uh, that's, that says it all. That noise says it all. It says it all. Um, and... The part that I'm not comfortable with is the power dynamics. Uh, the fact that yet again, here is uh, Simi refers to it as a like a football or passion project or whatever. Uh, but that's he's her boss. He's her boss. So I still don't love the power dynamics on display in the show uh, and, and how they impact relationships. But the show is certainly doing a lot with that. Uh, and so it fits in that regard for sure. In uh, the refugee storyline fits. It's so Difficult because when I think about uh, one of the things that that strikes me as so appealing about the UK and specifically about Britain, it's the multiculturalism, right? It's the silver lining uh, on all the horrible years of British colonialism uh, that brought all these cultures to Britain. Uh, now we can celebrate them. And I can think of London especially as one of the multicultural meccas of the world. It's on display in this current season of Top Chef, Josh, where they're in London and it's their world all-stars. And it's all these people from all over the world coming to London and to cook their versions and their culture's versions of the best food possible. That's what's happening this season of Top Chef. That's what I think about when I think about London, the city. And so just from afar as an American, of course, refugee crises and the politics surrounding them are not unique to the UK by any stretch. Uh, we're certainly not the, the people that we can uh, take a high horse on on this issue. No, but yeah. it's so strange to, to be sitting here in the US and think about what, what is appealing to me about uh, going to London? Oh, well, there's so many cultures like you can yeah. see so many different things. You can eat so many different kinds of foods. You can experience so many different things. And it's like some of the same people that are prevaricating about that here are doing that in the UK, uh, the UK IP party and all the things, the xenophobia that was on display uh, with some of the, the, the main issues that have been at the forefront of British politics for the last few years. Um, this is a this is an issue that is in a hotbed. They're not pulling this out of thin air. They're not creating a crisis. Uh, they're commenting on a crisis that is reflected every day in the halls of parliament. So uh, having a home secretary who says, who says stuff like this, the shut up and dribble part uh, is like I said, ported from an American quote unquote journalist, but the, uh, the, the issues are real. Uh, the issues are real for sure. So I think uh, the show did a really good job of picking something like that, which um, could be something that Sam would want to speak out on uh, as a person from another country who is proudly living in the UK uh, and choosing to open a business there and enriching the lives of the citizens who live in the country, uh, feeling persecuted, the people that are working there with him feeling persecuted. Um, this is a good issue for Sam to speak out on. So do we need more? No. If we saw more, do I think the show could handle it well? Based on this, I think the answer is yes. Let's talk about a tale of two love stories, Antonio, as the remainder of the storylines in this episode revolve around Nate 
and Keely, not together, separate and apart. Uh, but Nate is going to be uh, finally asking Jade on a date. Uh, lots of hemming and hawing as to whether or not this is even a thing that he should do, le- lest he's uh, rejected and forced to eat fish and chips on the streets outside of a taste <laughs> of Athens. Like, an, like a Dickensian urchin. A Dickensian urchin. Let's talk about the Dickensian urchin known as Nate. Uh, I I thought that this was a very sweet storyline. I do feel like I wish that Nate had known about the map earlier in his life. I feel like a lot of hurt could have been healed from that story. Do you? I mean, yes, I agree that it does. Like a sharing, a sharing of a yeah, you know, like to look to know your father a little bit better, and to know that like he had that in him, and uh, like I mean, his sister knew about this. Why doesn't Nate? Uh, so just it made me sad for Nate, uh, and sort of like the lack of a positive male role model in his life. Uh, I think that is something that he gets out of Ted, and is very likely part of why he's so bitterly disappointed by Ted in season two. Um, but Nate is, uh, he's eventually going to, you know, through that conversation with his family uh, and then eventually through it, not spitting on himself in the mirror in this episode, Antonio, he is going to get to the place that he needs to get with, with Jade. Uh, he doesn't even need the model that he painstakingly creates. It gets run over. Nothing alive was damaged in the making of that model. <laughs> that we know of. We only we saw the of. box before it left the house. We don't know where it went after that. We don't know where it yeah. went after that. I think you pegged the most, uh, unlike Beard and Jane, I think you pegged oh, the no. most important moment. I think you pegged the most important moment, which is ultimately that he doesn't spit on himself, that he smiles at his visage, yeah. uh, that he's not disgusted by what he sees in the mirror, that he doesn't need to do that to fire himself up. Uh, that is not as a result of Ted. You're right. Like He's had some good support from ted and that is probably why it hurts so much as he articulated at the end of season two to have that taken away from him uh to feel so special and to feel so cared for and to feel so important uh in ted's life and to have that taken care taken away from him because ted was distracted focusing on other things thinking nate was okay all of that um you can understand why that hurt right we uh, you're right to to uh, i think grok that uh from his relationship with ted but Ted also believed in him and put him on this path from promoting him as a kit man who most people didn't even remember his name, showing confidence in him, using his tactics, all the things Ted did, hiring him as an assistant, all the things Ted did in season one to, to build Nate up, uh, put Nate in a position where he is now the manager of West Ham. Uh, it didn't end well, but everything that led up to the ending uh, really put Nate in this good position. So. In the good position at West Ham, Nate is now able to have a degree of success. Uh, Jade is sitting at the table with him uh, when his date, when Anastasia leaves, and that's good for Nate. All of that is is good for Nate, and West Ham's been doing great, and he's getting credit for their success. So he does seem to be settling into a mode where he's more comfortable in his own skin. He's more confident. Full credit to Nick Muhammad and his performance in this episode. It felt different. This was a different yeah. Nate. His eye acting was different. His face was different. Um, he felt more confident. And I think you, like I said, really grabbed the most important part of that, which is that he doesn't need to spit at himself in the mirror in order to feel good enough 
uh, right. to feel like he deserves to be on a date with Jade or to get whatever he's interested in getting. Um, I'm glad the box got destroyed. I think that could have been a little over the top and it was a little creepy and a little weird. Uh, so is like asking her out where she's working because she uh, is not really in a great place considering how much her boss worships Nate and all of that uh, to say no if she wanted to say no. I still think she right. would have. She already turned him down once. Uh, so I do think that she would have done that. I think Jade uh, is a pretty strong woman, uh, and I don't think that Derek has a lot of sway over her ultimately. But still a little creepy, still a little weird, but she's interested. She's going out in the mornings looking for him, seeing if he's out there waiting for her. So she's been waiting for this, uh, box or not. I think uh, the, the, the idea could that be it's waiting working, with the really good. with the broom as a weapon, Antonio. Could She could be on defense, <laughs> you know, keeping good an point. eye out. What if he's around the corner? Good point. I've Good seen point. that guy spin uh, on himself be. in the mirror in the security cam footage, the CCTV. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, he might be rummaging. You never know. Um, but yeah, the idea that uh, that he could trip and fall into her. Maybe she needs the broom to protect herself from that. We've seen him just slapsticking his way around the joint there at a taste of Athens. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I think that Nate has improved. I'm speaking under the, the guise or belief that that he is improving in part just because he is having some success and he is feeling more confident. And the idea that Jade sat down to eat with him at all has given him some helium, has making him has making him has made him feel better. Is there a world, Josh? I'm just speaking for people that are wondering about this sort of thing. We have only seen Dr. Sharon once in this season. We saw her right at the beginning of the season. She did not reveal what club she was working for. She said she couldn't. She implied it was a rugby club or there was a joke that it was, but we don't know. We haven't seen her since. Is there a world where Nate has been working with Dr. Sharon in some way? Um, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm inclined to automatically say definitely not. Um, but the fact that you're bringing it up, I have podcasted with you enough, Antonio, to know that often you'll bring something like this up. And then like three episodes later, it's like, oh, there's Dr. Sharon. So I have to at least entertain it as a possibility because you are the suit. Yeah, that's all I want to do. I want to entertain. I want to yeah. entertain. Yeah. But I, I feel like it would be pretty narratively cheap at this point to have not given us any of that or any real indication of that. Um, it certainly would be a real waste of not having Dr. Sharon more on the show this season. Perhaps that's an availability issue. Uh, it, cer it certainly could be that it's just like we are not able to, to make that work with like actual screen time for Sarah Niles. Um, but I feel like Nate getting active therapy, coaching him towards this moment, not being shown to us would feel... Um, like not that would feel like a bad storytelling choice to me. Uh, so I don't think so. And if anything, I kind of feel like Nate getting here on his own and finally like maybe getting a little bit of the headspace to see himself clearly feels like a, a part of the point. And it isn't even that he's gone here alone. He gets to this moment in no small part, thanks to his family and active support from his sister and his mother. I think he gets to this point in many ways due to the lessons that were ingrained in him and his time with Ted. Uh, and I think even Jade herself showed kindness to Nate in a moment where Nate was so authentically himself with, uh, with Anastasia, who he brought to his favorite um, restaurant. So I think all of that, Nate's own, um, as, you, as you point out, Nate's own successes that are being divined from his tactical strength, the wonderkind of it all, uh, I feel like that is what's, what's driving a lot of this. If there is therapy going on and it's not being depicted on the show, and specifically if it's not from Dr. Sharon, that just feels like a miss to me personally. 
Yeah, I understand that. How I get to there is part of my process is recognizing that this episode represents improvement for Nate, right? And so the first question I'm asking myself is, like, where have we seen that on the show? Like, in show, what have we seen that was either referenced or that we saw directly, show, don't tell, whatever it is, that would reveal um, where this improvement was coming from uh, and what it could be related to. And of course, the most obvious stuff is what, we were, what we've talked about, the fact that he's had on pitch success, the fact that he uh, got a little bit of a something moment with Jade and thinks that she might be liking him and is floating off of that. Uh, all that stuff we have seen on the show and would certainly speak to his improvement. The other thing, though, what we've seen on the show is that he's been pulled to the dark side by Rupert uh, multiple times. And there was the episode, of course, where when Ted and uh, Richmond went to play West Ham multiple times, Nate was like, I really feel like I should apologize. Or Ted, I feel so bad about how things ended. And Rupert was always there or some agent of Rupert was always there intervening and preventing the good Nate from coming out uh, and from reemerging from this cocoon of negativity uh, to uh, emerge as a butterfly, having been changed by the experience in a positive way and having all of those good things uh, be part of who he is as a person, uh, as a more achieving or significant person than he was before. So I'm asking myself, like, what are we seeing in terms of why he's getting there? And that's a big part of it. But if you could only get Dr. Sharon for a little bit because of availability, uh, wouldn't we want to maximize uh, what we're doing with her? And my, the only thing I'm asking, I'm not saying that it is, I'm just asking if having her be the person that was helping Nate get over the hump here uh, could be a way to maximize that storytelling-wise. Because I agree with you, choice-wise, it maybe doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you can maximize Dr. Sharon's impact on this season because you're only going to get a little bit of her, how are you going to do that? And I joked to you in a text message, Josh, maybe we already saw that with the orgasm joke from the beginning of the uh -huh. season. <laughs> yeah. like, maybe that's how you maximize Dr. Sharon. You do one scene, you ever have drop a comedy bomb and take us into the cold in, at the end of the cold open. Like maybe that's it. That was uh, a love bomb it. so, in its own right. I don't know. Um, I'm just, that was a love bomb in its own right. That is true. That is true. So I don't know. Uh, the only other thing that that leads me to say it is in our preseason, we talked a lot about, OK, if we had Dr. Sharon on the show, who are some of the people that we think could uh, have a great relationship with her and that could lead to some achievement or growth uh, in that regard, like we saw from Ted last season? I think we speculated Rebecca could be one of them, but I feel like Nate was like our prime suspect for that. So seven episodes in now, seeing an improved Nate, I do think it's fair to interrogate uh, whether the possibility of that exists. And I agree with you. It just feels like we would have seen more of it. Uh, but I'm I'm just wondering about that as we go forward. Like, why did Nate change? And it is just is it just as simple as the powerful statement that he's changing on his own, uh, in part because of all the things that he's learned and the things that he's been through over the last couple of years? Is this actual growth? And so I do think that the idea that it could be growth on his own is powerful. And if that's all it is, that's great. It's great. I just I think we've seen the inverse of that. And I think we've seen him being pulled in. The other direction and part of the issue with not spending as much time at West Ham this year is I don't think we've really seen the push pull uh, or the dynamics of that on a day to day basis and how they, they shake out with Nate. But this is an improved Nate. There's no question about that. This is a better version of Nate. Long may it continue, Josh. I don't want to backslide into negative Nate again. 
I don't think that we will, at least not severely. Like if there's some, you know, sort of like momentary lapses, I think that that's just, you know, drama as we're building towards the crescendo here. But I think that we're on, uh, by and large, at least on the upward trajectory for Nate. Um, I'd like to talk about about Keeley's uh, love story to. in this episode. Yeah. Yep. So, so Perfect there's segue. That- there's everything that's going on with 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 Jack, uh, and it's it's funny because like the 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 story does end in like a, a fairly like peaceful place. Let's call it that, at least between Jack yeah. and Keely, where where Keely, uh, you know, on the the wisdom of Rebecca and everything, is kind of able to call Jack out on the love bombs. No more love bombs, and Jack herself is able to clock. I've been love bombing you. Uh, there's the ring and the croissant. She does hand the ring back to Jack, um, and so they seem to be. They leave the episode on an even keely uh but in the Uh. rest of the episode uh so much of the rest of the episode it is like really worrisome in a lot of ways the way that this romantic relationship is playing out uh you have barbara is concerned about it very clearly um there's the great moment of love is love in the office which i thought was very very funny um and then uh you know rebecca taking keely out to dinner and jack paying for it from the shadows and rebecca's commentary on the relationship i don't know uh i think you and i are both like a little bit wondering what does the show want us to think about keely and jack we've talked a lot about how we feel about the keely and jack storyline for me the the needle is is still skewing towards like this is going to be a problem more than this is going to be the ultimate end game you know couple for keely uh by the end of the show i think in no small part thanks to rebecca i think rebecca's calling out of of jack in this episode and i'm even thinking back to sunflowers and her telling roy she's going off with someone who thinks she deserves her uh so i feel like the show is telling us that jack and keely is not ultimately a positive thing for now it is still like it at least resolves in this episode in a way that is again the word i would use is like they're at peace with each other right now yeah and i think you're right uh we talked about this it it feels Look, when you spend a lot of time with these shows and you invest in them emotionally, invest in them from a podcast perspective in a uh, trying to feel like you're connected to understanding what the showrunners and creators are doing perspective. I don't like that. Um, we're seeing some potential negative energy between Jack and Keeley. I don't want our characters to suffer or struggle any more than they have to. Uh, but uh, I do feel somewhat validated in recognizing that, right? In understanding right away that some of the things that Jack was doing or the subtle ways in which she was doing them uh, can be read more than one way, can be read more than just chivalrous, romantic, uh, interested, intoxicating, all the things that I know that they were uh, in in a moment. Like, I I think that uh, they can be read another way. And Rebecca does a very good job of being diplomatic about that, I think, in a good friend kind in a way but Rebecca is also the kind of good friend that'll shoot you straight like I'm thinking about what Sassy would be saying about what's going on with Jack right now I think that's what we ultimately need uh, to really make clear what the show wants us to think about this uh, but it, the the tone is difficult because things end peacefully because they end okay and there's lighthearted music that plays throughout some of it uh, yeah. or shoegaze by the Alabama Shakes a band I really like uh, Alabama Shakes um a defunct band, by the way, no longer a band. Uh, but Brittany Howard, well, that's still, sad. I didn't uh, know that. Real. Yeah. yeah, Brittany. Brittany is on her own and doing just fine. So she doesn't need the uh, the rest of what's going on down there uh, to pull her back. But uh, regardless, um, 
that's a you know a lighthearted song and the idea that the daisy montage the daisy moment being bowled over by this for keely is happening while that's playing it doesn't make it feel foreboding or negative it makes it feel like uplifting or fun uh and that's the part that's tricky for me because I'm reading all this very negatively, everything that's Jack, that's happening with Jack. Uh, let me tell you an example that I'm thinking of, like the question of like Keeley said it was so hot, how Jack proclaimed their love to the whole office. And on one hand, like I said, you can lens that as like, yes, Keeley liked that. It was hot. It was great. I'm thinking about Barbara. Uh, Jack knows that Barbara and Keeley had a conversation about the Jack and Keeley's relationship and that Keeley was uncomfortable with Barbara about it. So she knows that Barbara was always already feeling some type of way about their relationship. Right. So then instead of going to Barbara, the other manager in the office and talking to her about it first and then talking to the employees about it, Jack speaks to everyone as a collective and says, hey, and if any of you have a problem with this, you can just talk to Keeley or myself or Barbara. And she puts Barbara's name on it, too, even though she hasn't spoken to Barbara about whether Barbara feels OK about it. And she knows that Keely and Barbara already had a conversation that made Keely feel uncomfortable about it. The better way to handle that would have been to go to Barbara and talk to her about it and not essentially co-sign her name on this office relationship by putting her as one of the group the office could talk to if they weren't comfortable with it. What if Barbara's not comfortable with it? So that's the part for me where it's like what Jack is doing this. She is not thinking about ultimately always what other people want or need. Uh, and she's doing what she wants. It's very in keeping, which she has already told us her as a character. Yes, she did destroy the Jane Austen first edition that by Jane Austen. And she did it as a goof. Uh, and she does tell us as the audience, hey, look, look I get jealous. Uh, that's what she says. And yeah. how did she know where they were having dinner when she bought the dinner for Keely right. and Rebecca? Like, what is going on there? So all of these things with Jack make me feel like, okay, there's bad things here if you choose to look beyond the surface of what Jack's actions are. And I have to point out, last season we had the one episode worth of drama where Keely and Roy had this thing where Roy was overwhelming her. He was constantly there. He was constantly around. He was constantly dra dragging her away. He was overwhelming her uh, and he was smothering her and he was not giving her space. Jack is smothering Keely and it's called a love bomb, but Keely is not responding to it in the same negative way, perhaps because it's at an earlier point in their relationship, but the same behavior that could feel smothering or could feel overwhelming uh it, only when rebecca recontextualize it as a love bomb and continually continually make sure to tell keely how rupert was doing so many of these similar things That's, early in their relationship yeah. she keeps bringing up rupert yeah, yeah. i think the the, the connotation of of rupert and rebecca be like that that being raised in this way that spells danger to me. Uh, I think like you're you're lensing this through the Rupert and Re Rebecca of it all. I think makes it pretty hard to feel like this is going to have uh, a positive outcome. Uh, I also do think that when you're love bombing somebody with like a bathtub of roses versus you're love bombing someone with the Aurora Borealis, you know, <laughs> like, right? Exactly. Like, you know, there's just such a scale to it of what Jack is there's able to, to do. Uh, yeah, like there's just like, a, a, you know, just like this in like, you know, sort of like this, like Mount Olympus versus uh, like even like a, a demigod, like, I don't know, Hercules, for example. Uh, just <laughs> you want that so one, bad. 
just to throw one out. Uh, so I feel like, uh, yeah, just like the scale that Jack is able to to bring to this, maybe it's a little hard to see the the forest for the trees. But I do think that the show is looking at it, um, and uh, maybe for the first time, uh, I think looking at this kind of uh, this kind of a relationship as being like, mm, I don't know. Um, but we're still early in it. And again, checking the math on my hand, five episodes still to go. Uh, there's there's room for this to tick up or tick down. Uh, and nobody is necessarily, uh, you know, out of the woods yet on like, can, uh, you know, it, can this be something that's like not in a great space now, but could be rehabilitated? Or is this something that's in a pretty good space, but it's going to get worse? Uh, hard, hard to say. I, I just do think with with five episodes left, there's there's still a lot of room for it to go. But I left this episode still feeling like ultimately like the show is trying to tell me like this is not going to be something that lasts. And it being connected to Rupert at all is is probably not good. Something that's funny to me when you talked about like uh, the jealousy and even even earlier and talking about like Dr. Sharon over uh, like potentially working with Nate. Uh, I am just thinking about what is sort of uh, like the dark Avengers when Norman Osborn plays Tony Stark and assembles like a whole bunch of like idiot supervillains to, to stand in for Hawkeye and Iron Man and Captain America and all that. Like, what is that version that goes over to West Ham in Ted Lasso? Uh, we've already talked in the past about like, could Shandy wind up at West Ham? And then it just makes me think of like, could Jack be somebody who could like bankroll something at West Ham down the line uh, was, was a thought that I just had even earlier. I was thinking about this, like could Brenda, uh, is this a way to bring her back into the story if there's some sort of allegiance between Brenda and West Ham by the end of this season? Uh, so I, I think that I think of Jack in those terms uh, with with uh, with tons of respect and appreciation for the great Jody Balfour, who who plays the character. And again, you and I both, I think, really like her on For All Mankind quite a bit. Um, yeah. That. Uh, yeah. Who, I think who, is, who, the... is Brin- who is Brenda? She's Tell the she's, she's the prime minister. She's the prime minister. Uh, of, ah, uh, okay, the home yeah. secretary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, home yeah. secretary. Gotcha. Sorry, yes, I yes, thought, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, good. Uh, all right. Sorry. Yeah. About that. No, all good. Uh, so I I feel like um yeah I think I think of I think of them as the on the side of the anaconda snakes. That doesn't feel good. Doesn't yeah. feel good. Let me give you let me let me give you another one because uh, I just thought of it uh, with Jack. Uh, the same sort of like whirlwind romance. And using my money to impress you and woo you is what we saw with Edwin Akufo and Sam. And right. we saw what happens when really rich people don't get their way. They immediately turn on you and they immediately explode on you. And no, uh, it wasn't uh, the same level of showering of gifts like first edition Jane Austen's. In this case, it was a number 10 shirt uh, for the club that Edwin wanted to purchase uh, with Sam's name on it. And no, it wasn't flying to the Aurora Borealis. It was renting out an entire museum and filling it with actors or hiring a bunch of people to appear in a restaurant uh, to make Sam feel more comfortable. Uh, So Edwin was doing these big gestures as well to try to win Sam over. And Sam was feeling very bowled over by them and very impressed by them and very lucky to be in the web of this billionaire spider. Uh, And then it went south relatively quickly. I think what's happening with Keeley and Jack should go south storyline wise relatively quickly just because of those five episodes left. I do think still Endgame is Keeley and Roy. Um, and if we're doing Endgame is Keeley and Roy, Keeley and Jack have to blow up relatively soon to give that some space to uh, reemerge. 
And so I think that's what's coming. Rebecca saying shiny things can tarnish um, is is really key for me. Uh, we're in the shiny things phase now, but uh, it, all it's going to take is an inciting incident or something uh, that goes south relatively quickly uh, or Jack and Keely not being on the same page about something uh, and it to uh, to fade, the luster to fade very quickly. Um, Rebecca's number one piece of advice to Keely was trust yourself. Uh, and then Keely says something about where we're love blind, uh, we're interpret red flags as giant green go for it flags. So, yeah, it's in the text. It's in the text. Yeah, yeah, it's in the text. It's right there. It's right there. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Free kicks, Antonio. What else happened on this episode of Ted Lasso that we want to make sure we hit before we close things out for the week? First thing uh, I had in my notes is I think you should lasso uh, <laughs> because of the Tim Robinson reference by Isaac and Johan Cruyff does look like uh, does look like Tim Robinson. I yeah. never realized this before. That's Tim Robinson from I think you should leave. Uh, very yeah. funny. Very funny. Yeah. It's Carl Havoc on the soccer field. Is what we've got there. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let's just say Carl is a lot. I'm glad we're not doing the Carl <laughs> Havoc way. Let's just put it that way. No. Yeah. It's too much fucking shit on me. I can't. Um, yeah. I definitely can't. Uh, that was great. I also have in my notes here in free kicks. The second thing I wrote is if we haven't yet talked about Will as Coach Beard more than twice, we have to do it again. Here. Okay, so, let's do it again uh, right here because because <laughs> Will as Coach Beard, I won't stop laughing about that for a good long while, especially the get out of my chair. Uh, like, yeah, <laughs> not since not since chair. Dan Hedaya uh, told uh, told uh, I believe it was Christian who came to pick up Cher to get out of his chair. Uh, I was going to say if that I was going to ask if that was a clueless reference because sure. uh, I only know Dan Hedaya from. Uh, well, from The Simpsons and from many other things, he's got a couple other live action roles, but that's probably his biggest, uh, his biggest live action role. So yeah, Dan Hedaya, I was you haven't about that. you haven't lived until you've seen Dan Hedaya get uh, uh, killed in Alien Resurrection. I'll just do the spoiler. Uh, it is one of the Fair weirdest enough. horror movie, space horror movie deaths I've seen in a long time, uh, and it's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, it's very stupid, very stupid movie, and I'm a big kind of like. My all-time boy Richard Schiff in that Jurassic Park movie. Uh, oh it does not yeah, end he well gets, for my guy. He gets done dirty. He gets done real. It doesn't end well for my guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he, I, I laughed. He had made it where uh, where Vince Vaughn. If Vince Vaughn had gone in that spot, uh, maybe Richard Schiff could have had Vince Vaughn's career. Imagine Richard Schiff in Wedding Crashers, uh, <laughs> old school. Could have been a very different outcome if uh, oh, Nick man. Van Owen had died, where Richard so Schiff's money, character, man. who unfortunately I cannot name, uh, had passed away. Yeah, very, very funny. In the lost world god that would have been hilarious how did we that get here by the way i don't <laughs> remember Hedaya. coach beard will dan Hadaya, somewhere we got it we got it let's there get it go. back let's get it back 
Yeah. Uh, I laughed at the beginning of the episode with Jamie's pink tracksuit pulling Roy Kent on a bike. Like you just taught Roy Kent how to ride a bike and he's already making you pull him around on one. That's what he's doing with the balance lesson from the Netherlands is making Jamie pull him around uh, like a sled dog. Yeah, yeah, very funny. Um, I think Dan at KJPR is still funny. He tries to Dan stand Hedaya? up and say love is love. And Barbara shuts him down. It's not Dan Hadaya, unfortunately. Uh, but I he's sort of like a Paul Lieberstein, like Toby-like quality to him where he just gets picked on when he's trying to say a nice thing or do a good thing. I'm laughing at the dynamic there of him at uh, KJPR. Um, so I really like that. Uh, somebody I want to talk about, Josh, and something that I would be interested uh, for people to fill in the blanks on in the feedback show, Mo Bumper Catch. Uh, Bumper Catch from AFC Richmond uh, is one of the background players on uh, AFC Richmond, one of the Greek chorus of AFC Richmond. But we're just filling in a lot of blanks with this guy. And I feel like we're doing, we did double duty in this episode and we will continue to. Uh, we know he wanted to infiltrate the ICC and ask some questions, he said in a previous episode. He wanted to follow the money to find out yes. who the leak was, as though following the money would get there. Um, he knitted Colin, I believe, a Welsh scarf. Uh, he randomly fixed the neon sign at Ola's just because he thought about how simple of a machine it was, which is crazy to think about. Uh, he threw up entire Cheerios, Josh, because he likes to eat his breakfast without chewing to conserve energy in case an impending class war breaks out. <laughs> uh, the show did not ask me, uh, a class warrior, uh, to interrogate what side the Richmond players would be on in this class war, but I don't uh -huh. think it's the side that we all think. Um, uh -huh. They make a lot of money. So yeah. uh, he is in not eating his breakfast to conserve energy for the class war, uh, saving it so he can kill me. And I'm not okay with that. Um, but yeah. that's all right. I still love Bumber Catch. And I'm interested to know what Bumber facts have I forgotten? What else do we know about this guy Let's from the course the of the series? Show. So for those of you out there, Yes. Yeah. Get us some bumper back. Uh, so let's hear about Mo Bumpercatch. What else do we know about him that I'm forgetting there? Yeah. But I really uh, like that. Uh, the morning shop motif was a bit lost on me where we see the uh, the shops opening up in the morning. Was that just like rom-com energy for you with Jade stumbling out and looking for Nate? Is that all it was about? Yeah, so this was something that I mentioned to you when we were talking before we we came online. It's like maybe maybe this is just something that like either I haven't said out loud or it's something that I'm just waking up to with this episode specifically. But I have to get to the place where I accept that Ted Lasso is a rom com before it's a sports com. Uh, like this is a the, like as a show genre. If you're gonna classify Ted Lasso for me, Ted Lasso is a romantic comedy. It should have been very very apparent. Um, by uh, gosh, what was a uh, uh, rainbows season two? Rainbows, right? that, yeah, yeah. Like if it wasn't clear by then, and they like invested so much energy in just like making that episode specifically such a send up of like when Harry met Sally and other stuff, uh, similar in the genre, uh, Titans of the genre. That I feel like it's like that was if that wasn't the shift, then at least that was like the bat signal of hey, this is what we are. Uh, this episode itself, I think, had a lot of that um, energy as well. Uh, I feel like the the morning shops, this just does feel like something that you would see in like uh, like Billy Crystal could have rounded the corner and I wouldn't have batted an eye. You know, like it feel it very much feels like that kind of a movie. Those those types of shots, I think, um, you know, the the sports movie tropes that exist within Ted Lasso, I think ultimately when you know, some of the temptations like, man, I wish they, they would give this character something other than a romantic storyline as their principal storyline. But then I shift that thinking to so many of the characters on the show. And like, I could apply that to like 
50% at a minimum. I think that it's like probably closer to like 75% of the main characters of the show are embroiled in some sort of romantic storyline. It's a rom-com. Ultimately, that's what this is. This is a story about love uh, and the love uh, that, you know, teammates can have for each other and the platonic love that people can have, but also like the romantic love that exists between people uh, is very much front and center for the mood of this show. Yeah, we've had feedback both ways on this that has come in over the course of the season, specifically with regard to Ted and Rebecca. Some people asking about Ted and Rebecca and some people saying, stop asking about Ted right. and Rebecca. And we're doing that in part because of what you just said, because it is in the show's DNA uh, and people feel that and people uh, are interested in it, uh, even though it isn't something that either of us or both of us specifically always want. As you were just saying, Uh, it's something that we might say, don't do it with regard to certain characters and then realize that they're doing that with pretty much every character. It's a huge part of what the show is doing. You can be a sports comedy and be a romantic comedy. There are plenty of sports rom-coms and maybe that's the ultimate genre that Ted Lasso falls into. It is a sports-themed romantic comedy. Uh, and that's totally fine if that's what it is. Uh, these these little morning montages, it did remind me of those moments in Rainbows, not the Radiohead album, uh, where we see like the crowd at the Richmond match and the different kinds of couples that are there in the crowd. And then we have the talker where the one group speaks specifically to the audience, uh, like in uh, one of those uh, famous movies that I'm forgetting the title of at this point. Um, but it was very very much a tribute to a romantic comedy, seeing the way that that was presented, seeing these little slices of life happening uh, that didn't necessarily involve our characters, but were at least tangentially connected to uh, the stories that were being told with our characters. Uh, Like I said, the Jade part of this, that is part of the motif, uh, speaks to her being interested in Nate and the possibility that Nate will be stumbling by, trip into her, or in the ultimate case, trip over the curb and uh, his creep box gets run over. So, You know, there is at least that version of the story uh, that is very romantic comedy wise. So I think that that's what it was. If it was a tribute to a specific movie or romantic comedy, and I don't think it was because it used a lot of different needle drops for those moments. Uh, It was lost on me, uh, but it was uh, it was a thing. Um, Speaking of movie references, though, Josh, uh, Sam asked his uh, front of house manager, I think, uh, Farida, uh, to give uh, the Ray Liotta uh, treatment mm. uh, for a VIP they had coming in. That's a direct on uh, RIP Ray Liotta, but that's a direct reference to the movie Goodfellas, uh, where Ray Liotta uh, brings uh, Karen, uh, played by Lorraine Bracco, to uh, the Copacabana uh, and goes in kind of the back door, the famous one or the famous one shot from Goodfellas. Speaking of Vince Vaughn, uh, sort of copied in swingers uh, and much talked about uh, moment from Goodfellas there, uh, where Ray Liotta walks in through the back door, through the kitchen, uh, and as a VIP at the Copacabana, and they deliver a table. Uh, to a packed Copacabana, uh, literally in the front, uh, and Ray Liotta and his date sit right down. So we want a VIP table, uh, and that's what that reference is a call-out, calling it the Ray Liotta. Speaking of VIPs, RIP to the VIP. Speaking of VIPs, in the total football segment, uh, we deviated from Cruyff and everything that happened with the Dutch total football to the link to Pep Guardiola. And Beard references him uh, yet again, calls Man City their white whale and references. um, And that's, by the way, Man City as the white whale. Moby Dickheads out there. uh, Boy, I probably should think about rephrasing that. Moby Mm. Dick aficionados (laughs) out there. um, (laughs) I didn't even mean to do that. uh, Can uh, reflect on and feedback. They can reflect on and feedback whether or not the end of Moby Dick uh, and the what happens with the white whale there will mean that Richmond does tackle Man City. But. Perhaps it's Pyrrhic victory, whether they'll tackle Man City and 
win the league, uh, what they think using uh, Man City as the white whale metaphor for Richmond means for the possibility of success of the season. It's a topic I think we could discuss. But when Beard is giving that presentation, he talks about Pep. Uh, and he talks about him in such a specific way, and it's now like the third or fourth time that Pep has been mentioned on the show. I think we have a Pep Guardiola cameo coming on this show. Uh, we have not yet seen uh, much of that uh, active uh, players or active managers. Uh, I think there's a world where we could see uh, Pep Guardiola in a cameo role uh, coming this season to Ted Lasso. So I'm just putting a little flag in that. Um, speaking of things I don't want to put a flag in, though, how about Beard's mom's nightstand, Josh? Woof. I don't want to talk about it. I would love to never talk about Beard's mom ever again. Uh, the the little <laughs> that we know about Beard's mom, you and I were texting about this before. It's not great. It's not great, Bob. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I just like, <laughs> you know, the one thing that we learned in this episode, like, totally fine. Absolutely great. I just don't need to hear it. You know, I just I don't think I need the visual. I'm good without the visual. The uh, yeah, that that is something I don't need either. I don't need the visual. A visual, though, that I did uh, that I that I did get entertained by and that I find to be appealing and endearing and sweet. Barbara, Josh, sometimes takes the tube in her pajamas to get to work sooner. Uh, that's, she's so committed. I don't love the character. Uh, she's kind of mean. She came into KJPR and said, Keely, we have a problem. Oh, sorry. That's just a force of habit. That, that's on purpose. That wasn't accidental. She's mean. Uh, she says to Keely, I didn't picture you as someone who would like books. Like, she's shady. Uh, Barbara, but this idea that she will wear her pajamas on the tube to get to work sooner, I think speaks to how seriously committed she is to her work. And it's not lost on me that the scene when Keely walks into the office to dis to discover all the daisies in the daisy bomb that's gone off in her office. Everyone is already there at work. The whole staff, Barbara and everyone else, already there. The boss is the last one showing up. That is not good workplace behavior when you're the boss. And I don't think the show necessarily meant to comment on it in that way. But you put that together with Barbara literally wearing her pajamas on the train to get to work sooner. And a boss who doesn't show up until after everyone else has. And it's like, how about KJ? You stand up a little more for KJPR because your people are. Uh, so that's my take on that. Uh, and maybe other people aren't going to agree with me on that one, but I'm fine with it. I don't have a problem because I'm anti-boss all the way across the board, unless my boss is listening, in which case I love you, Ian. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I'm anti-boss across the board otherwise. Uh, yeah. But uh, so Keely, Keely being the last one to arrive, especially in an episode where we hear about Barbara being insane about it, doesn't feel good to me. It doesn't feel good to me. Something that does feel good to me, though, Josh, another free kick here. We have Nate's little fun bits texting his mom, uh, and we learn that he has changed his Siri to call him Wonderkind, uh, which is, uh, it is what it is. It's fine. But I want to talk to you, Josh, about the fact that Nate is using an iPhone at all. He's going to be a hero. Yeah, I, I mean, so there's there's been some chatter about whether or not this is so for anyone who doesn't know the thing, uh, Ryan Johnson is credited as blowing up this protocol that Apple has 
that if you are using uh, if you're in a movie and you're the bad guy, you can't use their products. You can't be like the James Bond villain. Rami Malek, I don't think, is having an iPhone in his hand in that one. Uh, so uh, if Nate is using an iPhone, then uh, if the old rules still stand, then we are on the Nate Shelley uh, rehabilitation tour for sure. Uh, but whether or not that's still a thing, you see Apple products in succession. They're all the bad guy. So you know, like, I don't know. I don't know if that necessarily holds but if you want to if you want to hold it up as an example of nate is turning back towards the light side of the force that this that this season is some sort of slow exercise in luke skywalker breaking through to the old anakin within uh then i think that that's fine fine by me because at the very least i do believe that that's what's happening i just don't know that it's the iphone that's pushing me in that direction i think i'm already in that direction I am too. I will say, had he been using a droid, I would have probably <laughs> been, uh, and not like an R2, uh, right, kind yeah. of like a K2SO or whatever. Uh, the fact that had he been using an Android phone, I might be like, okay, now that is a problem. The fact that he's using an iPhone, I don't consider as dispositive uh, one way or the other, but I think there are people who will, will reflect on it or comment on it, so I wanted to at least highlight it a little bit here. Um, speaking of things that we haven't highlighted enough, the Pub Guys and May uh, had a bigger part in this episode than they have in previous. Uh, the Pub Guys were very funny. Paul wanting to tie the string to himself and the other guys made me LOL hard. Uh, yeah. As did their switching roles and the idea that they were invited to training. Then, and if you watch behind them, at first it's just them, and the crowd slowly builds behind them as though Ted is not just bringing the team along with him through this uh, evolution to total football. He's bringing the whole community along with him, uh, and the supporters are starting to fill up the the stands uh, to watch to watch training. So, the pub guys started, but other people immediately follow. I'm curious, Josh, what you think about the fact that May, and as we see in this episode, uh, the pub itself, are seemingly really impacted by the poor results on the pitch for Richmond. We didn't see that in season two. They got relegated, and we never saw the economic impact to May. We didn't see the economic impact on the club. Now we're making that a storyline, that the pub is not doing well because Richmond isn't doing well. Yeah. Where do you think this ends? Is this just to give May and the pub a little mini arc toward the end of the season? Or uh, mm. what do you think the capper on this is going to be? Or what do you think the point of it being in the episode is? I think I think for me, it's 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 less about like May and the pub is going to have a storyline. Again, five episodes. I think for me, it's a lot more about like, what are what are the stakes of of Richmond's failures? What are the stakes of Richmond's successes? And these are the burdens placed on, you know, all of the people in that universe. But Ted as the as the coach, uh, as coach, you know, Ted is supposed to be the guy who is leading them towards victory and he's not or hasn't been lately. And I think things look like they're going to take a turn uh, at the end of this episode. Um, and so I feel like it's less about May and May's storyline and actually a lot more about Ted's storyline and the thing that has now been textually brought into the show uh, with Higgins, you know, once upon a not terribly long time ago being like, you know, if things don't turn around. We kind of probably need to think about getting rid of Ted. Uh, he got some instant karma for that this episode, didn't he? he? Sure did. Um, the uh, Isaac hitting the ball and like breaking. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Leslie's exactly. window and the T uh very funny very 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 yeah. hot 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 uh, <laughs> isaac Silverhammer came down upon his head sure did i uh, came down upon his tea uh so i think that this is this is about that for me uh i okay. think like 
we're just seeing like the ripple effects of uh you know the lasso way the lasso effect i don't know but i think like how how ted is uh ted's existence in this world and what it's doing elsewhere like it's it's not like all on ted by any stretch of the imagination but richmond's failures have uh real world consequences he has that great line of it's their team we're just borrowing it for a minute you know uh with that attitude Ted's not going to be the kind of person who's going to like cling on to this job for dear life. When it's time to go, he's going to be fine. Yeah, I think that's right. I just, and it could be some corrective tissue. It just could be like not connective tissue, but corrective tissue. Like we didn't have that in season two. Maybe we should have because relegation is real and would have real financial impacts like that. Maybe this is a way of showing, like, as you're saying, there's real world consequences for better and worse of the lasso way. So showing that things are going poorly when the team goes poorly it will be good when the team goes good. And that's sort of what I meant by a mini arc. It isn't so much that we're going to have a ton of storyline at the pub, but just that now the pub story has somewhere to go. When the team succeeds, now we can say, look at what happened with the pub. And I just wondered if there's a world where May sells the pub and makes a ton of money uh, and then like flies and just moves to Tahiti or something like, and that she's like, I'm done. You know, I'm it. I'm, that was it. I'm glad to have it. You know, like, I don't know if that's what is that, if that's where we're headed or if, if there's a joke at the end of it, or if it's exactly what you said, it's just showing the last away and the, the fact that what happens with Richmond doesn't just happen to the people there, that it impacts the community. And I like that. Uh, so could go either way, but I like the stuff with the pub guys, great major league reference uh, with a just a bit outside on that Higgins uh, soccer ball issue there with uh with isaac's uh silver hammer so uh i i really like getting those characters in the show and i like finding ways to bring them to the team we still have yet to see them at the dog track at the richmond match proper and i think that's a big thing that's a win for them that's coming they're already now at training let's get them uh, let's get them at a match let's get them at the match let's have that be a big thing for them because that's a big part of major league are the big uh, the fans that we see in the stands there are groups that are featured as a motif in the movies uh that we go back to and back to randy quaid plays one of them i think in major league too uh, and it's just fans that we keep going back to and getting their commentary on what's happening uh, on on the field in Major League. So having them at the stadium doing that throughout a match would be would be fun. So I'm looking forward to that. Somebody that's always at the stadium, though, Josh, we didn't get a ton of Rebecca in this episode. We talked a lot about what happened with Keeley, uh, but I think we really weaponized some great moments uh, in the two times we did see Rebecca. First, she said Gazellic, Josh. She said the thing. I pointed like Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when she said it uh and so that means that she's still thinking about this the show's still resetting it i think it's coming back just a matter of seeing how it will uh i don't know if you felt any differently after no. as a result of this but no yeah, i talk, felt she talked about it i felt the same i felt the same she talked about it i the thing that i additionally felt was then you should have gotten his name you dink what are you doing yeah. she knows where his boat is if she wants to she can find him but i think it's the more likely move. she'll be She'll be in the news and he'll find her. I'm hoping yeah. for that. We'll see. Yeah. There's Speaking of rom-coms, there's a great rom-com moment coming between however that happens, right? Whatever the ultimate thing is that brings them back together uh, could be a big deal. So that I loved her ordering too expensive a, a bottles of champagne to go and then also one for the server once she heard that Jack was paying. Hilarious. Uh, so funny. And then, of course, so damn funny the way that Sam's dad made it awkward with her. And he said, of course, I had to, you know, really just 
great moment uh, from Ola there, uh, making it awkward with Rebecca. I felt bad for Rebecca, but I also think it's very funny that Ola was doing it willfully, that he knew what he was doing, uh, and that it played out the way it did. So that was really, really good. Uh, I got a big LOL out of that. I also got a big LOL out of Roy saying he'd given it a lot of thought. Uh, we're gonna next time we do this, he says we're gonna tie <laughs> multiple guys' dicks to one guy's dick. Yeah, we talked uh, about that. The the Roy King, uh, the rat dick of it all. Uh, so that was great. Um, uh, but back to back to Ola. I forgot to say this, but the moment in the locker room when Sam sprints across the locker room and hugs him, uh, when Sam has just been with through what he's been through, the camera does flash to Jamie, and we see Jamie taking that in. And Jamie is remembering, I'm sure, what we're remembering as an audience. The last time we had a father come into a Richmond locker room and the emotional moments that ensued after that was when James Tart Sr. showed up at Wembley after the Man City FA Cup loss to rub it in, uh, and Jamie punched him. Uh, and ultimately, the, the hug from across the room came from Roy Kent to Jamie. Uh, so I don't think for a moment that Jamie was forgetting about that moment uh, or that Ted was not not thinking about his dad. I loved how quickly Ted bonded with Ola, like with dad jokes. These are just two dads joking it up about American candy and bad sugar uh, and wearing the same outfits. Uh, just I love how quickly they bonded. So everything with Ola was gold to me on any number of levels. Uh, and that was uh, that was something I won't soon forget about the episode. We also had dicks on three. We also had four on three. One, two, three, four. Uh, so uh, I never in my life thought of that joke uh, in a very funny, uh, clever bit uh, to do four on three. One, two, three, four. Uh, so that was really good. And then Richmond had uh, kits. Uh, they had yellow blue kits that were very reminiscent of Arsenal kits. Uh, but of course, they're most reminiscent of the colorway of the believe sign. Uh, so we've got our Richmond like believe kits uh, in the yellow and blue. Uh, like I said, very reminiscent of Arsenal kits. Uh, and so to see them playing Arsenal in like Arsenal looking uniforms was jarring. Uh, but uh, it was the believe it was the believe color. Uh, it was the believe. Interesting. Color, right? So I was yeah. thinking of it as uh, the classic X-Men blue and gold. Uh, yeah. It's sort of their vibe as well. Maybe um, Arsenal was trying to uh, to to get some of that uh, boost off of the X-Men. Maybe they wanted to go full Rogue. Rogue's an X-Men, X X-Men, right? Yeah, okay. yeah she is. It. She's part of the it. squad, for sure. Yeah. Does she, like, steal other people's powers? Is that what she yeah, does? Yeah, if she touches you with her flesh. Yeah, she oh. does. Okay. Uh, and she flies, too, and that's because she stole too much of Ms. Marvel's powers once upon a time, and that sent Ms. Marvel into a coma, uh, at least according oh, to damn. the 90s X-Men cartoon canon. I don't know if that's comic book canon either. Oh, that could be coming. That could be coming. Uh, could be that could coming. be coming in the Marvels. What's going to happen? All right, one final thing here, and I want to really give a shout-out to Marissa. Uh, she tracked down so much on the needle drops. Marissa sent us a message saying, oh, my gosh, these songs – they're in so many movies. And I, the only one that I that really jumped out to me as a movie shout out uh, sports movie wise was Center Field. Uh, and Marissa points out that Dreams by the Cranberries is in so many movies. Mission Impossible. You've got mail. Boys on the side. The next Karate Kid. Shot through the heart. The Babysitter's Club. Marissa says you almost couldn't go to a theater in the 90s without hearing this song. Uh, and I, to, truth be told, I recognized the song. I wasn't sure from where. I knew it was the Cranberries. They have sort of that unmistakable sound that lingers. I meant to do that with you. Uh, but uh, I didn't recognize where I maybe necessarily knew it from. It turns out literally everything because it was also on 90210, JAG, My So-Called Life. This is a very popular needle drop. Uh, so what's happening there? 
Um, who really knows? But uh, it was definitely prominent at the beginning of this episode. We had Sometimes in the Morning by the Monkees. Uh, we had Rocks by Primal Scream. We had What Would I Do Without You by Ray Charles. One of those morning montage moments uh, opening up all of the, uh, the storefronts and everything. As I said, we had Shoegaze by Alabama Shakes and we had Center Field by John Fogarty. Uh, that uh, that one has been in a ton as well. Um, we had Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. You really got a hold on me. Like this is just so many things. Uh, Doomed by Moses, uh, Sumney, like uh, all these things. All right, by Supergrass. Find someone you love. Uh, enjoy all these songs. Are in the show. This one was packed, Josh. But there was one that I couldn't believe that you pulled. I am just <laughs> blown away by this. There is a quick ten second scene in the locker room uh, where they're kicking around water bottles and they're getting them to land in the container. And there's this like I don't know politician style, like it. hail to it. the chief style music playing. You got it, yeah. Ba, 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 ba. Josh Philip Souza. That's it. Uh huh. Yeah. And that, yeah, that was great. No post production on this episode of the Ted Lasso podcast. Yeah, that was better than the quick plot recaps. What? Where do you know this from, Josh? This is you immediately clocked it. Like, where where did you pull this from? Besides well, look, the depths of your brain. So, if it has deeper roots than this, I don't know. I just don't. Uh, I can only Neither source I. it. I can only source it back to the mid nineteen nineties, the mid to late nineteen nineties, when I was a young warthog uh, in a gosh late elementary school at this point in time. I think. Uh, around the time that I am worshiping at the altar of the late, great Chris Farley. Uh, I am a huge Chris Farley guy. Uh, you know, I, uh, uh, my childhood is marked by like being very reverential towards the comedians who are about my size. Uh, and I had a lot of affinity for Chris Farley. Uh, loved Tommy Boy. I will defend black sheep until I'm blue in the face. David Spade and Chris Farley only got to make the two together. It doesn't matter if Black Sheep is a Tommy Boy clone. It's fun. It's a fun movie. It's a terrific, totally fun time. We didn't get a lot of this. Treasure every moment that we got. Anyway, it's prominently that song is featured in the opening credits and throughout Black Sheep. Uh, so I don't know if it's from things from before that, but it's absolutely from Black Sheep. Clocked it immediately. That's from Black Sheep. Uh, again, don't know if that goes deeper than Black Sheep. If it does, someone let us know. But that's where I heard it from. And you were like, I can't get this one. It's like, oh, that's Black Sheep. <laughs> so stupid. My brain. Why doesn't it accommodate like actually being able to do math on a podcast? And it said I could get Black Sheep score immediately. So dumb. Well, let's, uh... Let's not call counting to five doing math. But yes, I agree with you. On uh, I can't even talk about doing math on a bike. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't believe that you pulled that. Black Sheep is extremely underrated. I thought of some immediate jokes from that film that have stuck with me that I referenced to you when we were talking about it. Uh, you but got a uh, right very funny. To fight, to vote. Yeah. 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 So good. We're going to have a so revolution. Uh, so. Mm -hmm. Very funny uh, that you would clock that. It does appear that that was composed for the movie Black Sheep. Uh, but the moment, just the little slice of life sporting moments. There are a lot of these in Major League with the people on the bench, like doing things in unison and like kicking their legs and feet. And like 
player superstitions and clubhouse routines on display in the movie. It could be that. It could be something that we're missing. Perhaps another topic for the feedback show, Josh. But uh, again, shout out to the great Marissa Garza for all the help with the needle drops. There were so many of them on this episode. And the stuff with dreams by the cranberries went right over my head. And of course, that's right where we started with the episode. So not good to start underwater like that. So big ups to Marissa for all the help with that for sure. Amazing. And big ups to Marissa always, especially in our impending feedback show, which if you want to get involved, again, this is the way, the lasso way. Ted Lasso at postshowrecaps.com. Do you need me to say it again? I shall. I will say it even slower. Ted Lasso at postshowrecaps.com. That's our email address if you want to write in and get some feedback in for the upcoming feedback show here for the final maybe season of Ted Lasso at least it's the third one we want to hear from you for this show we've been getting great emails all season long again we will bring in anything that is relevant still to the plot that we are able to accommodate if you've got anything from this specific episode or predictions for the end game too I think would be great Ted Lasso at postshowrecaps.com is the way those emails will go to myself Antonio and the great Marissa Garza if you want to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast the way to do that is to search by URL. Our RSS link is postshowrecaps.com slash Ted Lasso, but you could also just search Ted Lasso Post Show Recaps wherever you get your podcasts. Hit subscribe, rate and review. So appreciated by the entire crew. If you want commercial-free versions of this podcast, you go to patreon.com slash postshowrecaps. You sign up at any level to support the podcast. We are greatly appreciative of that as well. Patreon.com slash postshowrecaps. At any level, you will get commercial-free versions of the Ted Lasso Season 3 podcasts for your troubles. The next stop, well, for me, is uh, I'm going, I'm hopping into beach day. Uh, I will be uh, beaching myself up. But for the podcast, the next stop is feed back day uh antonio that's coming up real soon you got anything else before we march off towards that no that's it for me i'm excited like you said i think uh feedback questions about possible end of season uh goals uh whether richmond win or lose the white whale of it all what number four is how the lasso effect has manifested in specific moments throughout uh, the seasons that we've seen so far and on and on and on. Looking forward to talking about that on the feedback show this week, Josh. All right, folks, we will see you next on the feedback show as Ted Lasso continues forward here on Post Show Recaps. Until the next time, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Should, should I just quickly sing? Trying to get there. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.